Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Well, hey, Jonathan, how are you this holiday week? Well, it's it's been a bit of a crazy week here. Um, we had some tornadoes come through the area today. Uh, yeah, we're recording that, was, this, that was nuts. Yeah, on, on Wednesday, and we, we had tornado activity here in Nashville, and I had to close down the building early, and I came home early. We were actually going to record that this afternoon, and then the threat of tornadoes came, so we... We had to postpone till tonight and, yes, and wait off another wave of tornadoes. Yeah, you didn't need to be up on that uh, top floor of the building with uh, you the You make potential. it sound so glamorous. Yes, <laughs> my, yes. But my I, eight square feet. And <laughs> yes, your eight square feet. And, but it was up at the top, which is not where you want to be when a tornado is coming through. That's true, that's true. So, but I, I know it's been nuts. I mean, here it's just been warm and rainy. Um, but I was texting a lot with my parents, uh, back, back there where you are. Where it is also warm and rainy. Yes. Yes. But a little bit different than it is here, but hopefully that has all passed and we are in for, seems like, uh, most of us seem to be in for the warmest Christmas. Yes. Goodness. I think the warmest one in my life. I can't remember a warmer one. Mm -mm. So, uh, it, it beats a couple. I mean, it's always great to have a. A uh, white Christmas. We had that once, actually, when we were in Birmingham, shockingly mm-hmm. enough. I think that was 2010 or 11, one of those years. It's always a pain whenever you have kids and you, they get stuff for Christmas and they want to go play outside with whatever it may be. Yeah. And it's, like, so cold that you can't be outside for more than 10 or 15 minutes before you want to come back in. So. Well, not this year. Not this they can, year. They can put their shorts on if they want yes, this year. for real. All right, well, we this week uh, was a little bit slow in the news area, so we are going to look at some of the biggest stories of 2015 and uh, right before Christmas here. Next week, we'll talk about what maybe we can look forward to in 2016, but uh, we're going to jump into this. 2015, Amy, we've got 10 stories, and actually not specific stories, but just kind of 10 trends that we saw over the year in 2015. The first one uh, really deals with uh, two big events that both you and I were at this year, the annual meeting in Columbus, Ohio, and the SEND conference. And just the, I I guess the best word for those was cooperation, unity, and and prayerfulness. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Of course, they were two very different feeling events. Um, The SBC annual meeting, obviously we had a lot of things we had to take care of. Um, lots of auxiliary events, lots of just just stuff going on, talking to people, connecting. Um, Sin Conference, I mean, goodness, Bridgestone Arena just It was filled, rocking. Yeah, just filled to the max and really just generating a lot of excitement. So uh, they, they were both two sort of different experiences, but really pointing toward yeah. the same thing. There's a phrase that's used a lot, the gathered and scattered Mm-hmm. I think if you yes. look at these two meetings, this was kind of like the gathered and and the scattering, I guess you could say. The, the annual meeting is really the, the kind of the gathering that we came together, really excitement right. about gathering. And then there was excitement about sending and, and scattering, yeah, yeah. I guess you could say, at the SEND conference. So it, it's kind of a, a macro scale look at those uh, two terms, right. uh, those two right. events. Yeah, yeah. So like you said, is co- cooperation coming together, but then what does it mean where you are? What, uh, what are you yeah. going to do in your spot? Um, so re- really great, uh, great times. Of course, the, the annual meeting is always a really, really busy time for us. I know it is for you. It oh, certainly man. is for me. Um, so SIN Conference, I probably got to take it in a little bit more. Yeah, same uh, here. 
and that that's that's nice. But even though I think both of our bosses were were doing stuff at the Sin Conference, but yes, we uh we both had to be able to kind of relax a little bit more at that one. Right, so, got to take than, it in. Then we were. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next big story and kind of big event that we talked about was the Charleston shootings and racial discussions that followed that. Yeah. Of course, this one, I think a lot of us will remember uh, and many of the listeners who were at the annual meeting in Columbus, the Charleston shooting. I mean, we kind of all woke up to that Um, the day after the SBC, we were leaving on Thursday and you, you wake up and it, it's it was on uh, morning news and because it had happened on the Wednesday night before um, and you're just kind of on this high after these few days of being together and then you see something like that and it, you just sort of rocked um, while that didn't happen in a Southern Baptist church there it, it still really hit a lot of people and we had a significant Southern Baptist response. Um, yeah. Certainly the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, Dr. Russell Moore, uh, and, and he wrote an, you know, an article that I think had a huge impact on the, the discussions that set in motion of what ultimately happened with the flag on uh, the state capitol grounds in, in, in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, so obviously that, that was a big voice, but a lot of other voices as well. Um, and it, we were having discussions that we needed to have. Yeah, and I remember whenever we get back from Daniel meeting, my parents were here in town because they had been keeping the boys uh, while I was gone. Beth had camped that week, so we were both out. So uh, my parents had come in and were keeping the little kids. And we were sitting, and, you know, I got back, and I'm sitting around the house the next day or two, and I'm sitting there watching Russ Moore on TV, and I'm like, well, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> my parents yeah. are sitting there going, really? Yeah. So yeah, I mean he's sitting, you know, on the on the lawn at the the state house in Columbia. Kind of a, a wild time there. Uh like you said coming off the back of the annual meeting, it was a really a, a different type of feel uh for for the convention. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I I don't know, I'm just making observations here, but obviously this has been a very a busy year for the ERLC. Yeah, a lot of these stories in this top 10 deal with right. stuff that they've been involved with. And and much of what we're discussing constantly really has more to do with the marriage issue. But I would venture to say that some of the actions that they took early uh, after the Charleston shooting, I mean, that, that was probably one of the most impactful things. Like, I think we saw some really significant results from those engagements uh, that, yeah. that were really good for us to see. Um, yeah. so that was good. I think we need to remember too, that, uh, you know, we had that sort of round of arson, um, situations yeah. that were happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the churches being burned, I think it was like nine churches or something like that right. in South Carolina area, right? North Carolina, I think too, as well. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, SBC disaster relief got involved in one of those. I remember that right. we talked about it on the right. podcast and other churches in the area. So a lot of stuff going on, uh, but, but, continued conversations. I mean, we've had some really um, tough conversations here at Southeastern, some panel discussions, things in the town of Wake Forest, things that we've tried to include people in through online conversations about the Confederate flag, about, you know, um, other issues around the country. And I know that Southern Seminary has been trying to do a lot to address this as well. So I think, especially given um, kind of given the, our history, and we we constantly know uh, that we we have to recognize that in these moments. 
but I think I think we're having conversations we need to have. Yes, and one of those we actually you know talked about at the convention, and that's our next story here. Is it really has to do with the increased emphasis on diversity? But the SBC Executive Committee produced a report. Our good friend Alan Cross had asked a, a motion, passed a motion last year, and they came back with a, a full report, just a, a glowing report, really talking about racial uh, dealings in the SBC and just diversity and the need for diversity and how each entity could uh, look at that. So uh, that's another thing that we're seeing, not just on, on a, a racial diversity, but also on, on a, a gender diversity. We're seeing more women in leadership in the SBC and, and different roles and entities and things like that. So uh, that, that's been encouraging as well. Yeah. And I think now I know I, I don't want to show uh, too much of what I'm thinking for our show next week, but I think that's going to be um, one of the big stories of 2016 as well. So I'll go ahead and kind of show my hand there um, because what we're the leadership we're getting from Ronnie Floyd right now uh, is a huge focus on this. So I think we're going to just continue, 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 continue to see this increased emphasis on diversity. Yes, and Dr. Floyd also, I mean, like in his appointments that he's made to the Committee on Committees, Nominating Committee, those kind of things, those have been the most diverse committees that we've ever seen, period, Yeah. in the SPC. It's a real lesson as well uh, where we are because we, we've, we've thrown out there some real goals that we have on this and some things that we're doing to go after that. Uh, what we want to see on our campus to really reflect the diversity uh, that, that is uh, what God has created will reflect the diversity that will be in heaven. And just in the years that we've been here, I, it, it has made a huge difference just in the sort of daily life of our campus. And it's a beautiful thing. And I, I love being a part of that. And I think we're just continuing, you know, denomination wide to see things like that. Uh, so our leaders, Frank Page, Ronnie Floyd, uh, entity heads seem to have that in their view. And I think we're just going to keep going. Yes. And we've, we've also seen like a Hispanic task force an Asian American task force, different task force led by Frank Page that he's, he's, you know, moving toward that. I mean, there are things happening in the convention. We see it. We talk about it almost every month here on the podcast. Yes. Just to note too, the podcast guest that we've had on, uh, we've had more women minorities as well. Uh, you know, Juan Sanchez, Kelly King, Kevin Smith. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank on a couple more, but I've got others lined up for the future that, you know, Walter Strickland's going to be on in the future, Ashley and Portero, uh, a couple of different people. So, I mean, we've had a very diverse guest list, and that's something that we've, you know, really been intentional about here on the podcast. Yeah, because we want to to highlight voices from just a lot of different places, a lot of different experiences. And I think that's a, a great thing. And that's not something I'm just seeing here where we are. We see it in um, other podcasts, blogs of leaders, things like that. Just making, we need lots of viewpoints in our conversations. Moving on to the next story, and that would be the golden age of theological education. That's a term that Jason Allen's kind of started using. and We kind of hijacked that term here for this point. But you know, speaking of Jason Allen and Midwestern, I mean, they've had a great year. They brought Owen Strand on faculty they have uh, opened the Spurgeon Library. You know, Christian George has really got things going over there with the Spurgeon Library. They were named one of the fastest growing or the fastest growing seminary in uh, the U.S. by the ATS board. Uh, just, you know, great things happening there and, and not just there, but in all the seminaries. Yeah, it, it's this is really across the board. You know, I think one of the things we we need to remember, we're, we're always looking at different individual seminaries. 
but um, the the greater story about theological education, and this is why Jason Allen brings that up, the greater story in theological education is not a good one. Enrollment shrinking, uh, schools struggling, students graduating under a tremendous amount of debt. And uh, Southern Baptist seminaries are really standing yeah. to- together kind of locked arms up against this trend. So when we consider all the, you know, the, the six, you are going to look at individual aspects of each one, but it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. The contrast between these schools and then the rest of the ones around them um, for the most part. I mean, you still have, have a few that are are doing well, uh, but, as a whole, it's, it's just a really incredible story. So, um, so I think, I think we've had a lot of good things happening and not just in the seminaries, but also in some of the state. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that, you know, we've got a seminary like your seminary, y'all have raised up two outstanding leaders in Nathan Finn and Heath Thomas over uh, Nathan's at Union. Heath Thomas is at Oklahoma Baptist University. Right. right. I'm going to be deans. Yeah. Two deans that you guys have raised up out of the faculty there at Southeastern. And, you know, so what's happening to the seminaries are not only just bringing in these outstanding students and graduating outstanding students, but raising up faculty members that are going out and, and strengthening theological education across the United States through our Baptist colleges. Right. And they're, other going, colleges. they're going in and, and they're being leaders um, in those places uh, to, you know, to make a difference. So I think when you look, and again, you look at the six seminaries, you look at places like Oklahoma Baptist, Houston Baptist, Union, um, you know, I'm just naming three right there, but there, there are a lot. Uh, it there's a great impact being made um, in education by Southern Baptists. All right, moving on to number five, the reorganizations and dramatic changes in state conventions. Kind of the, the big token event for that this year would be the hiring of Tommy Green down in Florida, and their immediate and swift move to a 51-49 split to the SBC uh, from, you know, somewhere in the 40s, they went over and above the 50% mark to 51%. Yeah, I mean, certainly Florida's not the only one that's oh, no. that's making these dramatic shifts. Um, oh, we saw it when in Iowa the right. year before. We've seen it in right. Nevada, Colorado, but, you know, not even, you know, states in the South. The, even the, the frontier states are doing this as well, some of those. Right, but when they did, I mean, we really noticed it. And one, I think one part of that story was how the hiring happened that that Tommy Green was completely up front uh, from the beginning saying, if I, if I am going to take this position, then we're going to do this. And the folks in Florida said, we're with you. Okay, let's go. And then you see this huge jump in giving. I mean, you just, it's, it was such a dramatic thing so much that I know there was one week. I can't remember that you actually, said a state Tommy Green something, so you turned him into a verb. Uh, I don't even yeah. know if you would like that. Um, yeah. But, well, we're going to have know, him on the we're going to have him on the on the podcast in the new year, so we'll, we'll see what he thinks. Him. Yes, we'll have to. So ask how he how he likes me using his name as a verb. Yeah, but um, but I think Florida was kind of a microcosm for this bigger trend, uh, and we we were able to really watch it. But the thing that I was really intrigued by uh, is that point you kept making. Now I know again, correlation does not always yeah. equal causation, but that in a lot of these States where these jumps were happening, the giving was higher and it was increasing. So they, the new executive director or, cur- or the current leadership, whoever it may be 
came in, moved him to 50-50 or, or above right away. Right. And saw an immediate jump in cooperative program giving from the churches in the states. Yeah. It was almost like a catalytic event to get to have them give more. To do that, and, yeah. and like you said, we can't say that it's it, it's causation there, but there is a correlation. In I think every case where we've seen this happen, where new executive director or current executive director, it's, it's happened more with the new ones. With the uh, big, well, yeah. but whenever it's announced, a really yeah. significant, yeah, and, but yeah. but with a big jump, we haven't really seen. I don't know if we've seen a big jump from a state that had a current executive director. I have to go back and check that, but it seems like every time we see these big jumps, they're new state executive directors. Yeah, um, some so, of that. Some of that I think is going to be is going to make sense because a lot of times when you have just a change, momentum builds. There's excitement. Oh yeah, yeah. It, and it's going to happen no matter what, no matter. Yeah, who. and that, and that's not to say that every state that has a current executive director and wants to get more. Uh, cooperative program needs to go out and fire their executive director and hire a new one just so they can move quicker. That that's not the case. That's not what we're saying. It's just saying that it, it it's happened uh, in the past and the, what we've seen. Yeah. The other thing that we've seen is not just in the the giving jumps, but yes. the reorganizations. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia decentralization of right, staff. That's right. the big term. Yeah. Um, Georgia was a big one that they've kind of reorganized everything. Florida, Montana. Mm-hmm. Some of these Western states reorganizing just how they do things. Uh, they're so spread out, not even having, you know, kind of these central places, but having their regional coordinators, things like that. So it, it's just been an interesting year in state conventions all the way around. And I think uh, that'll be something I think we see more of in 2016. So I'm uh, working to get Bill Hennard and Tommy Green, both new executive directors at uh, West Virginia and Florida, respectively onto the podcast in 2016. So hope to have them on early in the year. Uh, can't wait to talk to them, especially Bill. We haven't really had a chance to talk to him about uh, much about what's going on there in West Virginia. So it'll be good to talk to him. All right, next up is religious freedom under attack. We've seen this in a lot of different ways. Uh, Amy, you want to talk about this one? Uh, we mentioned the URLC earlier. This is really there where they've been doing a lot of work. Yeah, certainly they've... Um They've spoken out a lot on this, and and they're they're doing a lot in the area of religious freedom to help prepare churches and to provide resources for churches. I know uh, you and I were both at yes a, a lunch. lunch the Alliance Defending yes. Freedom yeah yes uh, and that was during the ERLC conference after yes. right after, after the end. conference mm-hmm. yes. That was and, a fantastic uh, presentation. It was I I I was so I walked away so educated about what the real religious freedom issues were for churches. Um, so the ERLC on this has been a b- really just doing a lot to build up churches in this. We've also seen, though, um, I, I think the biggest one for Southern Baptists has been just watching what Guidestone and then some of our Baptist universities have been dealing with uh, in this, um, the provision under the uh, um, Obamacare, um, that that's the the case that's going to be going before the Supreme Court. Again, we've talked about this. If you really want to know and learn, look up Little Sisters of the Poor. That's uh, the the kind of joint case. A lot of um, organizations are lumped together in this, and Guidestone is a part of that as well as some of our universities. So this idea that you know we don't want uh, 
to include the insurance provision for certain types of uh, birth control that may have an abortifacient um, aspect to them. And so not wanting to provide, and there's been some back and forth as the government says, well, what about, let's do it this way. And we've said, no, uh, we're, we're not comfortable with that. So kind of this back and forth, and that's going to land before the Supreme Court um, this next time around. Uh, so, I mean, there's obviously tons of issues, bakeries, uh, florists, the um, county clerk in Kentucky, and some uh, other similar cases. Certainly, the judges just, in Alabama, I remember those. That kind right, of relates to one of our right. later things, but yeah. Right. Just as, uh, as Christians, uh, we're watching all of these things with great interest, trying to understand how we feel about them, what our position is on them. Uh, honestly, I mean, we think through what would I do in this situation uh, for sure. But I would say from a Southern Baptist aspect, this one case that Guidestone's involved in, that's, that was the big, big one. This next story is one that I don't think either one of us really saw coming uh, at the beginning of the year. And if I would have told you in January that Planned Parenthood would have a black eye and be really kind of frowned upon among American public in general, not just the evangelical side, you, you would have been a little probably surprised. Uh, but the Planned Parenthood undercover videos was a huge story. It kind of went on uh, throughout the second half of the year and, and has really turned public opinion against abortion. Uh, more than we've seen in in the last two decades, three decades. Yeah, um, and, and in some ways really made that dividing line very strong, and there's a, a lot of, um, uh, I don't know how to, how to say it any other way, it, people feel very strongly about this issue. They're, they're now... Yeah, there's no gray area. It other. seems like no. it's like polarized the, yeah, on polarized, one side or the other. That's the right word. And uh, no, no one would have ever expected this. Um it was just shocking when it happened. We were on vacation uh, when it dropped and it was just kind of one of the weirdest things. And then you just start waiting every single week. Um, I think it belongs in this list because we were all sort of taking that in. Um, but this really, this isn't just a big story of 2015 for Southern Baptists. This is a big story for America. And this is one of those things that when you see lists in, magazines and on uh, major news organizations, we're probably not going to see this on it um, because it was very difficult to get much attention to this in the mainstream media. Um, but I do think this was one of the biggest discussions in our nation uh, in the year 2015. And so um, I, I don't think this is the kind of thing that was necessarily swaying any Southern Baptists for the most part, because we've been very clear on where we stand on this issue, but we saw something, um, I'll just say it was even uglier than I ever imagined. Oh yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it just, it was very, very polarizing, like you mentioned earlier and just, you know, the gloves came off. So um, speaking of the Planned Parenthood and the URLC and everything like this and, and for, you know, the pro-life movement, the Evangelicals for Life. I want to remind people about that happening early 2016. Evangelicals.life is the information uh, for that, the website for that one. So you can find out more about that and, uh, and get involved with that because that's something that I, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a turning of the tide in public opinion. 
And uh, I think, you know, events like the Evangelicals for Life are only going to help that. So uh, that's something I'm really encouraged. You know, uh, this list, there are three or four of these that are really encouraging as we move forward. And I think this is one of those. Uh, Moving on to the next point and probably the biggest mainstream news story, I would think, in the United States this past year is the same-sex marriage ruling by the Supreme Court early in the year. Yeah, that obviously we were expecting that one. We knew that it was going to come toward the end of, of June. And I think a lot of things that went on at our annual meeting were in anticipation of that. Um, I, I kind of had a feeling where it was going to go. Um, if, and I think a lot of people did. I think that's even why we were having some of the discussions we were, is to prepare, um, prepare for that. But I, I would say now, sitting here in December 2015, it's a really, it's a, it's a really already a dramatically different world around us than it was a year ago, and a huge part of that, obviously, is that is that ruling. This is one of those places where the ERLC was participating. They did a huge amount of work helping prepare churches for how to lead their people, also for how this was going to to shift in the religious liberty issue. Um, so they were providing a ton, but there were also a lot of voices speaking out there about this. Um, many of our, our people, Trevin Wax wrote on it, Ed Stetzer wrote on it. Um, a lot of, a lot of just great kind of important stuff. Um, Bruce Ashford here wrote some on it. And so we, some of our leading voices were stepping up and saying, hey, um, we, we have an understanding of Scripture. We know this to be the truth. Uh, we know what we are sort of joining around. Here's what it means to be the church in a very different world. Well said, Amy. And um, it, it, That is something that I think we're going to see the fallout from uh, as we move on into 2016 and beyond. Uh, the fallout from this ruling, I think, is going to shape a lot of different things that we may have never even considered uh, in this past few months uh, since that ruling. So, Right. And I, I, one last thing, one other thing I want to say is that it's also causing um, us to step back and say, not only do we need to really understand what the religious liberty questions are, but as the world changes around us, it's making us have to proactively consider what it means to be a neighbor um, in this in this culture and, and how we relate to others around us with kindness. And that can even be extrapolated and extended into the refugee discussion that's going on right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, that, in, that entire community um, and just how things are, how we relate to them as evangelicals and as Southern Baptists. Yes, yes. Two more stories here in the top 10 list. Next is Lifeway selling the headquarters in downtown Nashville for a whopping $125 million and uh, about to announce, I think soon, uh, relocation plans and uh, some some designs and everything for the future of Lifeway. Yeah, that's a, that's a really big one. Now, that's one that I think it's going to be a little while before people outside of, of the Lifeway employee base are going to really understand what a big deal that is. Um, but it is, it's really big. It is a massive, uh, thing for Lifeway and the future of Lifeway, just because it, it sets us up for a, just a more productive, more streamlined approach, 
uh, to better serve churches, to be a better business, you know, and, and steward the resources and the duties that have been assigned to us by the SBC uh, to better educate, equip, and, you know, provide those biblical resources for life. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to be just a good thing for us um, outside to watch you all go through that process um, and, and just to demonstrate real stewardship in, in your decisions. Um, Nashville is, it's just such a a interesting thing, how that city is changing so quickly. And it was, I think a very responsible thing to make this move at the time. time Yeah. We we saw something very similar last year with Golden Gate Seminary. Yes. And, uh, you know, they'll be christening their new seminary, I think, uh, in October of this coming year. I think is what I saw the invitation for. Uh, we got a, the invite from Dr. Orge at the office the other day about that. And I think it was in October. Uh, but looking at you know their relocation to Southern California from the Bay Area, so uh, you know they kind of led the way with that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some more do that as well uh, in the future, possibly. Yep. Yes. All right, and now the big story of the year. Yes. Any, any guesses what it might be, Amy? Um, I think I actually guessed this last week. <laughs> and if, you're, if you've been living under a rock, that's the only way you wouldn't know this would be the top story. But the IMB financial shortfall and restructuring under President David Platt. Yeah. The interesting thing is, you know, five months ago, I think I still would have said that the IMB might have the biggest story of the year. And that was when... Um, all the parameters were were kind of... Oh, yeah, when they reshaped the missionary parameters, yeah. Right, and the Baptist faith and message kind of stood as the one yeah. thing that all missionaries... Yeah, this kind of uh, drowned that one out. I totally forgot about that until I, you mentioned it just now. I know, I know. But I think in that particular situation, we sort of got to, to see David Platt's leadership through something uh, in sort of a small way before this really big thing happened. Um, because I remember when that news dropped and there were just tons of questions about it and people were, you know, had all these different opinions. And then when he came on stage for his report in Columbus, um, his report was so inspiring. Oh, it was so good. Wasn't it? Yeah. And one of the great moments was when he finished and he had just addressed everything head on um, with such a missional presentation of it that when it's done, um, no one had any questions. And it was this kind of really special moment where everyone in the room kind of understood what that meant, that there were no questions and, and everyone clapped. And um, so I think we, yeah, I think we had uh, 17 salvations and four rededications yeah, it was at that incredible. moment. Yeah. Uh, so we got to see a picture of that. Of course, then the, the next phase of news comes um, a few months later and it, it's, it's been a huge test. I know, uh, for, for him, just in, in everything he's had to, to carry. And I think he's continued to do the same thing, is just to walk through this, this situation head on. Well, and now that you mentioned the, the missionary parameters that were kind of modified and, and simplified, really, uh, back in the spring, that makes a lot more sense now looking at what we're seeing personnel-wise moving forward from IMB. When, when David's talking about, you know, different types of models and different types of funding models or having people who are already there engaging with current missionaries and, you know, the different types of things like that where, you know, those people would not have fit in the old parameters, but 
the parameters now that David and the IMB have changed those and, and kind of modified and simplified those, now it opens up the doors for these different types of missionaries that Dr. Platt has been mentioning the entire time. Uh, and and now you see the need for it because of what's going on and the, the changes they're having to make. So, I mean, it was kind of this sequential modification of the IMB, uh, you know, but these huge, massive shifts that, that kind of have to be done over time. And, you know, I, I don't think we're done with it yet. We've talked about the VRI and how that has expired. And now that, you know, they're still kind of looking forward to uh, what we may find out in January, I think, whenever they announce all the results and, and you know, some of the, the shifts are made permanent. So, uh, you know, there's there's still a lot going on. But, you know, kind of looking back on it from, from the end of 2015 through everything that's happened, you, you kind of see that progression and and see where you're going with IMB and I think you've you've said it you know Lottie Moon Christmas offering going on right now and I, I fully expect and I know you've said it on the podcast that it's going to be the biggest one ever and I'm hoping that's the case and and coupled with the increase in CP giving that we've talked about the entire year uh, things look bright at the IMB yeah yeah the, it's. I can't wait to see what's ahead. I can't wait to see where we are a year from now when we're looking back uh, on on this. Uh, so obviously, it's a huge story, and it's gotten everyone's attention. Um, it's gotten us talking about cooperation in ways that we haven't talked before, or in, in ways that we haven't talked recently. I'll put it that way. Before we have, but recently. Exactly. And uh, so that's our top 10 list there in Really no particular order except maybe the last two or three. Uh, but uh, any honorable mention stories that you, you, you have, Amy, that we, we didn't quite make the top ten here? I think the CP bump, yeah. that's, a, that's one. Uh, we, we mentioned Florida's restructuring. I think Georgia had a big restructuring too. And also uh, Georgia had that big debt payment that they got from the foundation, the hospital foundation, uh, to pay off their building and to free up some assets. And that was kind of – part of that restructuring as well. So that was a, that was a big point of, uh, to note. Yeah. Anything I, else? I mean, obviously we had some several different, uh, deaths that we focused on Jeannie Ellis, um, Maurice Henson at Southern seminary, uh, just others throughout, uh, throughout the year. And those certainly were meaningful, um, at the time, you know, a couple other things that I, I'm kind of thinking of, we, we touched on in the podcast over the, the course of the year or the, the seven months that we did it. Um, the Ashley Madison scandal was one. And also the basically the decline in the membership of the SPC, but the increase in churches. So the, the church planning that NAM is doing uh, with the states and partnership with them seems to be working. I think we're going to see a hopefully a, a steadying of the decline in membership and maybe even an increase in that in the future. I think, you know, with the leadership that we've got in the denomination now, that it's, I'm hopeful for that. So um, we'll see about that. And uh, I know one story that didn't quite make the list here, but made the list in your home, is uh, the appointment of Keith Whitfield as a vice president at Southeastern. Yes, that was an interesting week uh, trying to talk about that. It was hard to uh, how do how do you remain neutral when you're having that discussion? So you don't you just sell out and just yeah. go for it. I mean, my goodness, and nobody says a word because they're like, "Well, I do the same thing." Yeah, I I think we in this house, I think we understand that's not necessarily on the major top ten list, but certainly yes, it yep. would be. number eleven on the list, number one in our hearts, Keith. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. So that's going to lead us to my favorite part of the week this week in SPC history. Amy, blow our minds. 
Yes. Well, this week in SBC history, um, we had a, a great loss in 1912 on Christmas Eve uh, was the passing of Lottie Moon. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. What to bring the podcast down, Amy. I know. I'm sorry. I don't know how to deal with it in any other way. Um, so actually, she was not well. She had come back after furlough. There, uh, the, there, I, I guess different stories. On, There's conflicting reports. Right, conflicting reports on exactly what happened. But uh, she, but she was not well, and it was understood that she needed to to head home. She needed to head to the U.S. for medical treatment. I think um, there was the, the discrepancy is between malnourishment and dementia. Correct. So, um, so either way, she was not well and it was determined she needed to come home to try to get some treatment and she did not survive the journey. So she died in uh, Japan in the Harbor. So at that time, there was a lot of concern about making the journey all the way back. Um, and then just bringing her, her remains. So, uh, she was cremated, but she was brought home at that point and, um, and was, was buried in a cemetery in Crewe, Virginia, uh, which is where her family was, where she was from. And interestingly enough, I have actually visited there. I've seen where she was buried. Um, Crewe is on the way home from Waverly, Virginia to Nashville, Tennessee. So we just go right through town. And one, uh, one year we finally said, we're going to find this. So That's cool. Yeah. Is it, is it just kind of a, a nondescript grave? I mean... You know, or is there like a big deal? Like, hey, your life's lighting. No, moon. it's pretty nondescript, actually. I mean, when you get to the headstone itself, it it says I can't remember what it says. I have a picture somewhere. Mother uh, of missions, Lottie Moon. Yeah, so it's it says something about uh, her, but it's not this huge thing. And it actually took a little bit to locate it in this in the cemetery itself. It wasn't wasn't necessarily an easy an easy task. But I mean, have, like lights and you know, right. Uh, Fog machine. It wasn't like there was a sign, you know, a lot of signs. Yeah, here lies Lottie Moon. Right. Um, so. And, well, I, I think she would have it no other way. I mean, right, right. It seems and, like that's kind of fitting. Yeah. And, and Cruz, just this little small town, just kind of uh, highway goes goes right through it, two lane highway. And there she is. So uh, she, she really has um, sort of personified kind of our mission, the missionary spirit uh, for us. And so I felt like it was fitting, especially with everything we've been talking about with the IMB and, and the offering in her honor. Now, is the Christmas offering her, you know, named after her because of when she died on Christmas Eve? That's a good question. I, I guess I should have asked my WMU friends about that. Yeah, that's a yeah. Uh, that's a really good. I have question. to find out. I'll find out and report back to you about that. That that would be. I know who to. I know exactly who to text about this question. So I will text great. my friend Melody Maxwell. Okay. Who's a that would Baptist be great. Baptist history PhD? So she'll know. She'll know the answer to that. So. But interestingly, you. a few weeks ago, when we were uh, talking about other things, she was actually born in Virginia on December twelfth. Um, so a few weeks ago, you know that was, was her birth. birth. Yeah. Right. And then. She died on Christmas Eve. So uh, that's what happened this week in SBC history. Well, very cool. Thank you for that, Amy. A uh, little, little history for Lottie Moon. And you know, if you're passing through, is it Crew, Virginia? Crew, Virginia. C-R-E-W-E. Yep. Stop and see Lottie and uh, pay your respects. 
I guess, if you're passing through there sometime. I'm not sure where Crew, Virginia is, though. You should look um, it up on a map, but it's not. Uh, people don't pass through there regularly. Okay. All right. Well, that'll bring us to our resource of the week. Your resource of the week, Amy, is... Uh, it's the Intersect Project. This is something that we're doing here at Southeastern in partnership with the Kern Family Foundation. We're actually in our second year of it. Um, and it's uh, just a lot, providing a lot of resources on how faith meets with, how it intersects with culture, uh, work, vocation, economics, um, how we bring our faith into day-to-day life. Um, and the the book, Every Square Inch, has come out of that project, upcoming book every waking hour from Walter Strickland and Benjamin Quinn on vacation is part of that. Some free classes, things like that. But we have a um, website that's been around for a little while, but we really uh, have it sort of up and going regular resources all the time. It talks about the books, the classes, there's a blog with students, graduates, faculty contributing to it. And so uh, we really have had that going for the last few last couple of months and so I want to throw that out there, that, and it's intersectproject.org. All right. Well, that's the first I've heard of this, so that's kind of cool. So I'll have to check that out. All right. Well, mine is a new book by Lauren Chandler called Steadfast Love. Lauren, you may recognize as the wife of Matt Chandler. I had a chance to meet her and Matt. Well, I've met Matt a few times, but I had a chance to meet her a while back whenever they were here in, in town doing some uh, shooting uh, with Ed Stetzer for uh, some TV stuff that he did uh, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so had a chance to sit down and have dinner with uh, Matt and Lauren, just an outstanding couple. Uh, uh, Lauren, great heart, and uh, you know had a lot that she's been through with uh, all that happened with Matt and the brain cancer and everything. So uh, this book, Steadfast Love, kind of talks on that, touches on that story, and uh, you know the steadfast love of God. So new from B&H, from Lauren Chandler, Steadfast Love. Excellent. I'll have to check that out. All right. I, I might have a copy I can send you. Oh, I'd love that. Please do. So, may, may do that. So um, so I think that's going to do it for us this week, Amy. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Merry and, uh, Christmas. To all, to all of our listeners, we appreciate you uh, tuning in every week, and uh, all four of you. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's more than that, actually. So we, we've, it's been very encouraging, the, uh, the feedback we've gotten on the podcast, uh, just so you folks know, it's been very encouraging, and uh, we're excited about the uh, what the future may hold for SBC this week. So we will talk to you next week whenever we look at 2016, what to expect. Sounds great. See you next week. <laughs>